I'm so glad that we can continue our series today, Strong and Courageous, Stories from the Life of Joshua. And when I planned the series, I thought I would preach all four of them in person, and then things changed at the visas, and I thought all four will be online only, and now we did two of them online, pre-recorded, and two of them in person. So that's really great. But we're continuing the story. Who's Joshua? Joshua is a young leader that had to take over from a very accomplished leader named Moses. Moses led the Israelites out of years of slavery in Egypt. He led them through the desert to the land that God has promised their ancestors. And Joshua has the responsibility of taking over from this amazing leader and then leading the Israelites into this land. But on the other side of the river that they have to cross, that's where the promise is waiting. But there's a whole bunch of obstacles that's lying between them and the promise. And we read about some of them. We read about the river that was in flood, that God parted. We read about a city named Jericho that had these incredible walls that God took them through. And today we're going to continue this story and we're going to learn something else from, from the life of Joshua. But being a leader and facing significant obstacles, he wasn't the only person to do that. I've done it in my life and maybe you've faced some obstacles as well. I heard this week, someone told me, actually two people told me, Louis, aren't you a little young to be a senior pastor? And I was like, no, we all start out this way. We just grow older over time. We don't start out with gray hair, right? Um, but, but about, what, 11 years ago, when I first started in the position of, of a senior pastor, I was younger than now, and I looked a little different. My hair was like all over the place. And um, there were some old people that had the courage to call me. But I went to this church, and, and this was the obstacle for me. Like, we knew God wanted to move this church somewhere, but how does a young leader do that, especially when you don't have the trust of the people yet? So I had to pray, and I, I said, God, there's this huge obstacle in front of me. I don't know how to breach this. I can be faithful, but I don't know how to breach this. You need to come through for us. And I want to share a story with you from my own life that no one ever said this was the bridging moment, but I think this was one of those bridging moments. There was an older lady in our church, and she was one of five siblings. And in my first couple of months there, her one brother passed away. Since she was the only one in church that asked me to do the funeral. So I did the funeral, and after that, the three other siblings also joined her in our church. So now, four of the five siblings are in our church. Not all are necessarily following Jesus at this time, and um, I one day get a call that I need to come back to the house, the whole family is gathered, and I need to come and pray for them. The one brother had a heart attack, and three of his veins or arteries, the things blood flow through in Afrikaans, we have one word, I don't know why I have two in English, it's complicated, but anyway, three of those, no matter the direction of the blood, are blocked. He had a heart attack, and now he has to go for three bypasses. So I went to the house and I prayed for them and I just felt God laying it on my heart that we need to pray that he will be healed so that the story would not only change the direction of this whole family, but that it will change the direction of the church. He, went for the, he was on his way to the doctor just before the operation a couple of days later. They did a scan again and the doctor said something incredible happened. All three of those veins where they were blocked, the vein grew out, grew around the block and back in. His, his body did its own bypass. He didn't need a surgery anymore. And that is a story of 
that I think that was one of the moments, I believe that was one of the moments that catapulted our ministry in that time. And I don't know about you, but I have always given my best to everything I have always faced in that best situation that's bigger than I could do. I've always faced situations bigger than I was trained for. I've always faced situations that I couldn't handle on my own. And those are the moments that I had to turn to God, that I had to say, like, God, this is, this is not in my own ability. You need to come through for me. And in this series where we're talking about heading into a future with strength and courage, heading into the future with boldness, although the odds are sometimes stacked against us, although there might be obstacles between where you are and where God wants to take you, in this series we're saying, like, how can we go into the future with strength and boldness? And I believe prayer is one of those. My situation in that church changed, not because I was necessarily the best leader on earth, not because my name had a title in the front. It changed because I was willing to pray a big, bold prayer. When last have you had God answer a prayer for you? And I'm not talking about one of those vague prayers that we just kind of like, we, we, we cover all our bases in case it doesn't happen that we don't feel bad about ourselves, right? I'm talking about an intentional prayer of faith. A prayer that if God doesn't come through for us, it wouldn't happen. And today we're going to be talking about that. The third part of our series, Strong and Courageous, the third topic is the strength of prayer. And we're going to be talking about prayer today from a story in the life of Joshua. And this is, I want to give you a bit of background before we, we read this. I already told you they went through the, through the Jordan. They faced this huge city called Jericho. They marched around it a couple of times. The walls crumbled. They faced another strong city called Ai. They defeated that. And now something happened. God has shown his power over and over and over again. And the people of that land started to notice it. So they are afraid. So what do they do? The king of Jerusalem gathers four other kings together. And they're like, let's attack the allies. And we're going to talk about them a little later. The Gibeonites, let's attack them, the allies of the Israelites, so that we take some of the strength away, so that they can't move forward this quickly. So although Joshua has faced kings in war before, it was always one-on-one. -on -one. This is the first time that it will be Israel against five kings. This is a challenge. And let's read what happened in Joshua 10, verse 7 to 15. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it will be on the screen so you can follow along as well. Joshua 10 from verse 7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to, said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Machedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of the whole Israel, 
Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jassar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. That's what we're going to read. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we have your word and that from this Old Testament passage that we can read about a man who had so much strength and courage, not because it came from himself, but because you told him to be strong and courageous in you. I pray that today, as, as we look at the scripture, that you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The future, the promised land, is waiting for them. But there's an obstacle of five kings and their armies preventing them from taking this land. God has to intervene at this moment. Like you don't just face five kings. They are ready for the Israelites. They didn't draw up and thought like maybe we could take them. They are ready to win this battle. The Israelites needed God to come through for them and God did. We read it right at the beginning that they defeated their enemies. But then we read that they continued to pursue them. And then two miracles follow. And I want to do a little interjection there because why did they pursue the enemies? Why did God have to do two miracles? When they invaded this new land, God gave very specific instruction that no one is allowed to be left alive in that country. And you might be like, isn't that a little crazy? Yes, it is. But the Israelites over and over again kept falling for all kinds of idols and false gods. So God decided this time, I'm just going to remove anyone that can tell you about a false God. I'm going to remove all of the altars. I'm going to make you take everything away, clear the land out so that we can start on a clean slate. They had to wipe out all the enemies. The battle wasn't done. And this seemed like a bit of an impossible situation. Something that couldn't occur. Something that couldn't exist. Something that couldn't be done. That's the word impossible, right? It cannot exist. It cannot be done. It's impossible. It cannot be real. Now, when I read the miracles, even that seemed to be impossible. Because there's hail that falls that kills more men than the Israelites killed. Now, here's my question. The Israelites are pursuing them. Hail normally doesn't just fall in one spot, right? I don't know if you've got hail here. We had it back in South Africa. I'm guessing you know hail as well. You've got snow. We just had Little white pieces of ice, that was it, every now and again. But hail falls in a bigger area. But the Israelites aren't killed by it. They're not affected by it. Only their enemies are killed by the hail. That's a miracle. That's like a torpedo that has a built-in GPS system, right? And then something else happens. The sun and the moon stops in the sky. And you might be like, Louis, this is Totally impossible. I find it hard to believe because science does not allow for that to happen. If the earth had to stop rate rotating now, we would all fly off at an incredible speed. That cannot happen. The laws of physics doesn't allow that to happen. Now let me tell you something about every single miracle in the Bible and the miracle that I just told you about that I witnessed in my own life. All biblical miracles defy the law of physics. 
the law of human beings. And that's the whole point of it, right? If we didn't defy them, it wouldn't be a miracle, and we wouldn't need God to intervene. But God created all these laws. So God can change them if you want. It's like a parent. Abigail and Annabelle has to do my law. That's the rules of the house. But if I want to change them, I can change them because I'm the lawmaker. I'm the rule maker. So God, I'm not going to go further into this. I'm going to pray that God will reveal it to you if you struggle to believe this. But God intervened and he changed things. And I want to tell you this morning that if you're facing an obstacle in your future that you think is an impossible obstacle to get through, if you're facing someone that you don't know how, something that you don't know how to get to the other side of that, there is a way. What bad impossibility is standing between you and the promise of God today? Maybe there's an impossibility in your marriage or in a relationship with with a child or with a spouse or with a girlfriend or with a fiancé. And you're like, I cannot see how to get from where I am to where God wants me to be. Maybe there's an impossibility in that promotion that you were looking for at work. Maybe there's an impossibility you believe in finding financial freedom or in finding healing or finding hope or finding faith and keeping your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're struggling to believe that God can do something amazing through this local church. Maybe it seems impossible for you. I want to ask you this morning, where do you need God to come through for you? What area in your life do you have to go to God because you're incapable of doing it yourself? If you've got that in your mind, that mental picture, I want to tell you that is a good place to be at. That's actually a blessed place to be at. And it might not feel that way, but I want to tell you when we are at a place where we can't do it ourselves and we have to go to God, the place where God intervenes, that is the place where His power and His ability shines through the brightest. That's the place where God wants to show the world what He's capable of. That's what miracles are about. So if you are at a place today where you are at the end of what is possible for yourself, if you are at a place where you are at the end of what is possible for me, that is where you will encounter the start of what is possible for God. I want to live in a place like that. I want to live in a place where everything is possible for me. I want to be at a place where I'm like, God, I'm at my end and I need you to come through. The lawbreaker the one who's not bound by our physics and our rules. I want you to come through for me. Jim Simbala wrote this in a book. He said, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. When I was a student, I remember hearing about and reading about these great awakenings, these revivals that happened across the world the first time. Moves of God that changed countries and continents forever. And since then, one of the prayers that I've been praying for the longest time has been, God, I do not want to die before I've seen a move like that. Before I've seen you change countries. That's where I want to live. And I believe we serve a God that can make the impossible possible. But the question is how? How do we move into that place? And you might be here today and you're like, Louis, I know God can come through for me, but how does it happen? 
Or maybe you're here and you're like, Louis, I'm not sure if God can come through for me, so help me at least to give a first step. And this is what we read about um, in, in Joshua. When you want to move yourself from the place where you are at the end of your line into the place where God's power starts, this is what we need to do. It starts by stopping in your everyday busyness. We live in a world where everything is so rushed, right? We never have a quiet moment. We never stop. If your watch doesn't tell you to breathe, you almost, you, you'll forget about that. Joshua, we're in pursuit of his enemies. He's going full steam ahead. There's no stopping now. How can you stop when you're supposed to catch up with all of them? They are running away. They are fleeing. But Joshua does something amazing. He stops in verse 12 to draw near to God and to hear from him to ask him for help. He doesn't just keep running. He stops. And he didn't always do this, by the way. I want to read to you from the previous chapter in Joshua 9 when he didn't stop and how that went wrong. So you remember I said these kings attacked the the allies of Israel, the Gibeonites? Now, the Gibeonites were also... uh, uh, enemy tribe. They were also supposed to be wiped out. But they were sneaky. They dressed up in these old rags and they packed bread that was full of, uh, that was hard and that was full of mold. And they went to the Israelites and they're like, we want to make peace with you because look at our clothes, look at our food. We come from a far away land. We brought the evidence. And this is what happens in Joshua 9 verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions. They tasted the stale bread. They touched the torn clothes. They did everything that they should have done, humanly speaking. But they did not inquire of the Lord. So then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. It's called the Gibeonite deception. They tricked them. And if only Joshua stopped and inquired from God, they would have known that these people were tricking them. So this time, Joshua learned from his mistakes. And Joshua was like, this time, I'm going to pause in my busyness, in my pursuit. I'm going to pause and I'm going to inquire from God first. I'm not just going to go full steam ahead. He learned from his mistakes. And it's not just Joshua that did this. Jesus modeled this. Before Jesus started his ministry, what did he do? He spent 40 days in the desert. Before Jesus called his disciples, what does he do? He spends time praying. Every time before Jesus does anything significant in the Bible, we read that he withdrew to a lonely place. Because he spent time with his father. Now I want to ask you this today. If Jesus had to withdraw, if Jesus had to spend time with the father, who are you and I to think that we can just continue and God will come through for us, but we never inquired what his plan is. We never inquired what he wants to do through our lives. You see, what we do is we often work harder and we give more when we were supposed to actually stop to hear from God. 
If you're facing a situation in your life that seems impossible, if you're facing something in your life that you feel this is just insurmountable, my English is defeating me here, insurmountable challenge in your life, stop trying so hard. Pause and ask God what His plan is. We work harder and give more when we're supposed to stop to hear from God and ask for His help. You see, time in his presence brings us into alignment with him. Time in his presence brings us into alignment with his will, with his plan. Time in his presence fills us with courage and strength and boldness to head into our unknown future. As long as you and I are trying on our own, we'll keep seeing Messiah's results. So when last did you stop doing and started being. Is that old saying, right? We are human beings, not human doings. But we're so good at doing. And we're so bad at being in God's presence. When we spend that time with God, after Joshua spent that time with God, that led him to a place where he had enough courage to pray one of the boldest prayers that was probably ever prayed in the history of mankind. In Joshua 12 verse 13, we read that he prays and he says, Sun, stand still and moon, stand still. And we don't know if that froze or the earth stopped rotating, whether the universe stopped, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. But Joshua prayed a crazy bold prayer and he didn't go to his back room where no one could hear him because he was afraid that maybe God wouldn't come through for him. He went and he stood in front of the whole Israelite nation and he prayed that the sun and the moon would stop in its place. It is one thing to pray that when you're on your own. It's another thing to pray it in front of all the people that's following you. But he had a boldness and a courage that came from God. And his prayer was proof that he trusted in God's promise. You see, the prayer that he prayed was not just something selfish. It came from God. He was in alignment with his will because in verse 8, what did God say? I have delivered them into your hand. So all Joshua was saying, God, give us a bit of more time so they can be delivered in our hands. He had trust in God's promise. But the faith he had in the God of the impossible is mind-blowing to me. I have been in that spot where I felt God laying something on my heart and I want to pray it so badly, but I don't want to pray it in front of anyone else because I'm so afraid that prayer won't happen. Jesus said we need to have this kind of faith. If we read in Matthew 11 verse 22 to 24, hear what Jesus said. He said, have faith in God. And he could have stopped there, but he knew that we wouldn't get what that means, right? So this is what he's saying then. Then Jesus says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes That what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. When last did you see a mountain walking to the ocean? Like, Lou, that's impossible. The sun and the moon stopped. Nothing is impossible for our God. But we have reduced God to someone who's capable of the results that I'm capable of on my own as well. 
We are too afraid to pray big, bold prayers, so we stick to the small and the mundane. And the problem lies with us. The problem lies with our faith. That's what Jesus said. We will only pray for what we believe God can do, right? So we often set a limit on God for what He can or cannot do based on the ceiling of my own faith. Joshua didn't limit God based on the ceiling of his own faith. God told him, be strong and courageous. So he's like, I'm going to pray a courageous prayer. I'm putting no ceilings on God. I'm going to pray for the sun and the moon to stop for a whole day. And he prayed that. So let me ask you today, what limitations have you put on God? Because there are no limitations on him. The only limitations that you believe are on God are the limitations that you have set on him. What illness do you have that you believe is impossible for God to heal? What marriage troubles do you have that you believe God can never sort this out? What friends do you have that you believe no matter how many times I'm going to invite them or speak to them about Jesus, they will never start to follow him? This is my big, bold prayer for grace. For the next five years, I'm going to give my all to see that we reach 1% of our surrounding community. Like, we've always been about 200 people in the service. Like, how's that possible? Newmarket has 90,000 people. Aurora has, what, 55,000. In the greater community, we're talking about 150 to 200,000 people that have direct access to our church within 20 minutes. Can we start to believe that in the next five years, we can reach 2,000 people in our community? It's not impossible to God. If we believe it's not possible, we're limiting Him. He's not limited. I want to tell you today, big, prayer, big miracles follow after big prayers. This big miracle followed after a crazy big prayer that Joshua prayed. And I want to tell you, God is in it. If we have faith and we pray, God is in it. He will be faithful to his promises. He will be faithful to his word. But we need to be in it as well. You see, Joshua wasn't a man that just prayed and he said, God, let the moon stop and let the sun stop and you take care of our enemies. We read that he marched up with his entire army, with all his best fighting men. He didn't pick the, the one or two that he thought maybe like they could do something. Like, we'll just take a small army and God will take care of it. He's like, I'm going to bring my best and I'm going to trust God for the rest. And that's what they did. So never think that trusting God for the impossible means that you do not have to bring your part. If you're praying and you're trusting Him to restore your marriage, you have to put in the work. You have to start showing your husband and wife that you actually love them. If you are trusting God for financial freedom, for financial breakthrough, you have to start living in a godly way with your money. If you are trusting God to bring your friends to Him, then you need to start sharing your faith with them. You see, God is faithful, but we need to bring our part as well. God told Joshua in verse 8, I have given them into your hands. 
Not I will just wipe them out for you. You need to use your hands and you need to do something. And part of what we need to do is to believe. But part of it is to just put in the hard work. Because nothing just comes easy. Not a good marriage. Not good relationships. Not our health. Nothing. So what we're going to do today is we're going to pray bold and courageous prayers. We're going to ask God for the impossible. I do not want to live my life. I do not want my life to slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to ask that if you're here this morning, we're starting this with a bang. If you're here this morning and you need prayer because you're facing an impossible situation that you do not know how you'll get to the other side, then you're going to be bold and courageous like Joshua. You're going to get up. You're going to come stand here and we're going to pray for you because we're going to trust God today to do the impossible. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, the sun and the moon stood still when Joshua prayed. And a couple of thousand years later, the sun stopped shining when you died on a cross and when you achieved final victory. And we are here today, not as people just trying to get by. We are here as sons and daughters of the king who has already defeated the enemy. We want to live in strength. We want to live with boldness and courage. We want to live in the victory that Jesus has achieved for us. And I pray today, God, that you would do something amazing in our day and age. Too many people think this is a dead religion. I pray that you would move so mightily that no one can deny you. We pray in Jesus' name.